Alright students, welcome back to Lecture 11, Homer's Iliad, Book 5, Part 2. It looks like that's the piece that's missing there. Let's quickly review what we saw yesterday. A couple concepts, a couple people. Remember, the war started back up because of, what was the name of that archer? He's a Lycan, and his father's name is Lycaon, and he had a bow, and he was convinced by Athena to use that bow and arrow to shoot an arrow at Menelaus effectively ending the truce that had been called for the one-on-one -on -one combat between Menelaus and Paris. Yes? Pandaros. Pandaros. Yes. Pandaros indeed. And so, Pandaros started the war back up. We then met a very young Achaean. His father is Tidius, one of the seven against Thebes. His father was a short man, and yet he was a great man. He is a short man who casts a long shadow, you might say. Who is this young Achaean captain? Obviously very wealthy, brought 80 ships. To, uh, to Troy, who wishes to do deeds of great valor. Yes? Diomedes. Diomedes, indeed. And, ooh, I would be even more impressed if any of you remembered the lieutenant of Diomedes, whose father, Capaneus, was also one of the seven against Thebes. I'll tell you something that you'll remember, probably that will make you remember Capaneus better than Stenilus. A, you will meet Capaneus next year in the Inferno. He will be a blasphemer. B, this is how he died. He climbed the stronghold of Thebes and then yelled at Zeus. He called him Jove. He said, are you real or are you just a folk tale made to scare women and children? So Zeus, wielding the mighty thunderbolt, fulminated him. You say, Mr. Schmidt, what does fulminated mean? I say it means to throw a lightning bolt at someone and light them on fire, which we now use to mean to light someone up when you insult them really well. And so, yes, that is how... Whose father died? The lieutenant of this Diomedes, yes? Stenilus, in perfect pronunciation. Very hard for us uh, who speak American English to pronounce S-T-H, Stenilus. Uh, I'll write a word very quickly. This is the place that Achilleus comes from. See if you can do this one. P-H-T-H-I-A. We usually say Pythia, just being sort of lazy, but it's Pythia. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. Uh, the, the Greeks had a couple letters, uh, Theta and Phi in particular, that were just aspirations. They just made sounds. In fact, our letter H is just a breathing sound. You don't actually use really any part of your mouth. Isn't that interesting? Uh, just something quick before we move on to things that are more interesting. There are four types of letters you form by using different types of your mouth. There are labials, with which you use your lips. There are palatals, which you use the top of your mouth for, like duh and tuh. There are gutturals, like guh and cuh, that you use the back of your throat for cuh. And uh, let's see, there are also, there's one other. There's labials, gutturals, dentals, and I'm pretty sure there's one other one, too, that I can't think of here. Uh, but the labials are like buh. Ba and pa. Yeah. And then dental, duh. Notice that your tongue, you form these letters in a different way. Isn't that weird? Well, that's part of the fact that you speak English. All right. In any case, this Pandaros guy, we know about him. This Diomedes guy, we know about him. We know about his lieutenant, Stenilus. We know about their dads in the seven against Thebes. Uh, also, Timae and Cleus. Remember these concepts. They're very closely intertwined. They are not the same. However, Timae, what is it? Uh, Timae is... Honor, 
Whereas, kleos is glory or fame. In fact, kleos specifically is that which is said about you. Your kleos is your reputation. It is the legend that is spoken about you. Whereas, time is your actual honor. Now, your honor. Is it abstract for Achaeans, or is it deadly physical? As in, is your honor something that you just imagine up and relatively ascribe, or is it based on the amount of things that you have? Your geros. Yes? The amount of things that you have. And so, when Agamemnon took the geros of Achilles, what was his geros, his prize of war? Yes? Briseis. What did Agamemnon directly reduce of Achilles's, which is why he left the battle? Yes? He took his geros and therefore reduced his teammate. Exactly so. All right, know those terms. We're going to see them very, very, very soon. Then we saw Pandaros take a shot at Diomedes, shot him in the shoulder. Very much annoyed Diomedes. Athena then comes down to the battle. What two things did Athena then do for Diomedes? Yes? She got rid of his pain. Got rid of his pain. Didn't fully heal him, though. And she, and he, she gave him the, the ability to see the gods. And gave him the ability to see the gods. Now recall, I made the claim yesterday that the gods of the Achaeans and the Trojans do not necessarily care about the Achaeans and Trojans as people. They are amoral. That means that if something bad happens to you, they might be okay with it. If something good happens to you, they might be okay with it. That said, why is it that Athena gave Diomedes the ability to see the gods? What is it she desires him to do that is good for her in the desire of Hera? Yes? To uh, harm Aphrodite. To harm Aphrodite so that she leaves the what? Because she's being annoying, essentially. Well, where is it that all the people are fighting? On the battlefield. So we need to get Aphrodite off the battlefield back to Olympus, where she belongs. Because, who was it she recently saved of the Trojans and kept the war from ending? Sir? Paris. Paris! And who is it we know, and we're going to read a passage about this today, that she will also save very soon, annoyingly? Yes? Aeneas. Aeneas, her son. Good. Alright, alright. Let's move on to what we need to talk about today. Alright! The stage is set. We notice in blue the Achaeans, we notice the red, in red the Trojans, Diomedes, and Sthenelus, versus Aeneas, and Pandaros. Now first and foremost, Pandaros explains to Aeneas why he has no chariots, and again, this speaks against the intelligence of Pandaros. Just as he has allowed himself to be convinced by Athena that it was a good idea to shoot Menelaus because he would receive more prizes from, uh, uh, from the Trojans, when Menelaus died, think, uh, thinking that was a good idea, which obviously was a bad idea because it will lead directly to his downfall and death. Um, well, he also apparently is a very bad planner. When he was deciding to come to Troy, he is rich. He was rich enough to bring chariots. And yet, for some reason, he left them at home. And so he goes through this long explanation, essentially uh, uh, discrediting his, his character in our minds, in order to tell Aeneas that, if he's going to fight alongside Aeneas, he needs to jump into Aeneas' chariot. Now, something about Aeneas as a Trojan is that Aeneas has mighty fine horses. And remember, a mighty fine horse at this time is a mighty fine thing to kill a person for. Because a mighty fine horse is like a mighty fine car that has a horse as its emblem these days. You might not know what that is. It is Ferrari. Yes, 
which is an excellent brand of car, an Italian brand. Most Italian brands are considered luxury cars. Ferrari, Porsche. That might be German, actually. Yeah, is it? Is it? Yeah, Ferrari, Maserati. That's the other one that people really like. In any case, those are nice cars. Aeneas has the, those equivalent of horses. In fact, his horses, uh, his father, Anchises, had stolen some immortal horses, apparently, and had bred them with his horses, and so now he's got the really good horses. And so Diomedes starts to think, I'm going to fight against this Aeneas. I want to make sure that it's worth the effort. So Sthenelus, when we fight against him, if I kill him, what do I need you to do? I need you to lead away those horses. Because, well, I want those Ferrari horses back at my tent. And, well, you'll see this actually happen multiple times that people's horses get led away. And something weird about horses, Achilles has two immortal talking horses. Xanthos and Balios are their names, yes. They'll talk once, just to uh, talk smack back to Achilles when he blames them for somebody dying who's actually, uh, who Achilles is more to blame than they are. And they will say that to him. And so, literally, Achilles will get defeated in a battle of wits by a horse. Um, <laughs> all right, good. In any case, Pandaros mounts Aeneas' chariot. And then Sthenelus and Diomedes, back to them. Diomedes refuses to retreat. The reason why he refuses is, A, he wants glory. B, he knows he has to go engage with the enemy because he needs to find Aphrodite and he needs to get her off the battlefield. The best way to get her off the battlefield is to have her try and save somebody she cares about. Somebody she cares about is obviously a Trojan, but who does she care about more than just a Trojan? Her son. And so, who do we need to attack? Her very dangerous son. And so, I want you to have the appropriate appreciation of this fight. This is our first major, major fight we are going to see. And it is not necessarily the case that Diomedes is far, far stronger than Aeneas. We just don't know at this moment. Now, we will know afterwards who is stronger and the more capable fighter, but at this point, it takes bravery because we don't know. Alright, good. The fight begins. And this is where I want us actually to pause our writing and open our books to page 152, book 5, lines 275 or so. Yes. We are going to watch the fight between Diomedes and Pandaros, and then Aeneas and Diomedes. Just following what I just said, you can probably tell how the fight between Pandaros and Diomedes goes. If we're going to see the fight between Pandaros and Diomedes, and then Diomedes and Aeneas, what surely do we know? Yes? Pandaros dies. Pandaros does not do so well against Diomedes. Let me begin. First to Diomedes called out the shining son of Lycaon. This is Pandaros. Enjoy these words. Enjoy these words as if they are his last. Valiant and strong-spirited, O son of proud Tinius, you were not beaten then by the bitter arrow, my swift shot. Now I will try with throwing spear to see if I can hit you. So he spoke and balanced the spear, far-shadowed and threw it. And we see that there's a theme here. Just like with the battle between Menelaus and Paris, we have projectiles thrown first. Uh, in this case, arrows not shot, but spears being thrown. And so the far-shadowed spear. You might not know why it's called far-shadowed. When the spear is flying, what's beneath it? A shadow. And the spear can travel what distances? Short or far? Far. So the shadow moves. And that's the idea you're supposed to have while you think of this. Yes. Ooh, yes. Also something you might not have noticed, but you might start to be noticing, is that whenever there is a big battle, the champions have a chance to give a speech. Now if you said, Mr. Schmidt, 
Didn't you say that this is a giant melee where people are throwing spears and rocks and shooting arrows constantly, and that if you take a moment to try and strip armor from someone, you might get killed because you don't have any time? I say, yes. This is certainly a poetic convention. If you were to stand in the middle of the battlefield and give a long speech, you would surely be killed. And so this is something that the greatest warriors are given the opportunity to do in the poem because of their greatness. Not because it would actually happen this way in a real battle. Alright. Valiant and strong-spirited, O son of proud Tidius, you were not beaten by the bitter arrow my swift shot. Now I will try with the throwing spear to see if I can hit you. So he spoke, and balanced the spear, far shadowed and threw it, and struck the son of Tidius in the shield. And the flying bronze spear was driven clean through and into the corslet. So the spear has gotten into his breastplate. If it goes through there, he will die. But it doesn't. It just goes into the corslet, not through the corslet. Close call. Whew. Would be a real bummer to die to Pandaros. And the shining son of Lycan cried aloud in a great voice, Now are you struck clean through the middle? He thinks that he killed him. He did not kill him. And I think that you will not hold up for much longer. You have given me great claim for glory. Great claim for glory? What does he think in killing Diomedes, which he has not done, but he assumes he has, Pandaros has added to? His Time or his Kleos? What is one's glory, the things said about one based on one's deeds? Yes? Kleos. He thinks he has added to his Kleos. Mm, he might have spoken a little quickly. Then strong Diomedes answered, not frightened before him, You did not hit me. You missed. But I do not think that you two will go free until one or the other of you has fallen to glut with his blood. Ares, the god who fights under the shield's guard. Uh-oh. He spoke and threw. And Pallas Athena guided the weapon. Oh, man. This... <laughs> Very much focus on this. To the nose, next to the eye. And it cut on through the white teeth. And the bronze wearless shore, that means cut, all the way through the tongue's base, so that the spare head came out underneath the jawbone. He is essentially, I don't know if you've ever had meat on the stick, like a shish kebab? That is Pandaros. The spear is sticking through his nose, down his tongue, out his throat. He is, except for he can't do that because I think it's going to tell us that his tongue comes out. He dropped then from the chariot, and the, his armor clamored upon it, clattered upon him, dazzling armor and shining, while those fast-running horses shied away. <laughs> and there his life and strength were scattered. All right. Interestingly enough, it gets better from here. Pandaros is very much dead. Sorry, Pandaros. But Aeneas sprang to the ground with shield and with long spear, for fear that somehow the Achaeans might haul off the body. And here's this Homeric simile. Look for these. Like a lion. Mufasa-like, in the pride of his strength, stood over him, holding before him the perfect circle of his shield and spear, and raging to cut down any man who might come to face him, crying a terrible cry. Aah! So he jumps down from his chariot in a kind way to defend the body of Pandaros, because what probably do Stenilus and Diomedes want to do to the armor that is on the now dead body of Pandaros? Yes? Take it! Right, and so he defends his friend. That's a good thing for him to do, if he's strong enough. Let's see. But Tidius' son, in his hand, caught up a stone. 
A huge thing. I love, I love this claim right here. You'll see this often. A huge thing which no two men could carry, such as men are now. This is something that Homer talks about. He says, in the old days, people were stronger. Not like people these days, degenerate and weak. It's sort of like how older generations always talk. Maybe you have a grandparent and are like, you got it so easy today. You got that genius teacher over there who color codes his lectures and will send them to you and records them. And we ain't talk about Noah Kins back when we was getting learning. It's like, and when we were going to school, we ain't have no Maseratis or Ferraris to get in. What we did is we walked two ways uphill in the snow for two miles. You ever even taken a walk before? You know, people still talk in that way. They always say, like, back in the past, people were tougher. People were harder. It's like, that's almost undoubtedly untrue. People are stronger and healthier than they've ever been. In any case, people tend to think, think in that way. Always there was some past when time was better. Uh, people even do that with their own lives. I wish I were a child. It's like, do you remember what it was like to be a child? You cried all the time. In any case, let's see what happens here. But he himself lifted this rock lightly, lightly hefted it. He threw and caught Aeneas in the hip, in the place where the hip bone turns inside the thigh, the place men call the cup socket. It smashed the cup socket and broke the tendons both sides of it. That means both sides of the tendons they're what hold your leg in place. So then you put weight on your leg. Your tendons stabilize it. That's why you don't fall. What happens when the moment you put weight on this now tendonless leg that is not connected to the cup socket at all? You fall. Right. It goes all wiggly and swiggly. And everybody who sees it goes like... Ugh. Ugh. It's gnarly. And I have seen something like this happen to somebody. I saw a Muay Thai fighter kick another Muay Thai fighter, get checked with his, uh, get checked with the other shin, and I saw the first fighter's leg then wrap around the other guy. And then he tried to step on it, and of course it collapsed, and everybody was horrified. His name was Anderson Silva. You can see it on YouTube. In any case, in any case, it's terrible. It's terrible when this sort of thing happens. But it's sort of funny when it happens to a Trojan because we like the Achaeans. In any case, and the rugged stone tore the skin backward so that the fighter dropping to one knee stayed leaning on the ground with heavy hand and a covering of black knife came over both eyes. Okay, I do want to keep reading, but we do have to keep moving forward in this lecture. So, Aeneas and Pandaros have not done so well against Thinless and Diomedes. You are starting to see a major difference being represented by Homer between the Trojans and their capacity to fight, as well as the Achaeans. We have now seen two major battles. Menelaus versus Paris, and Diomedes and Thinless versus Pandaros and Aeneas. When Achaeans fight against Trojans, how do the Achaeans tend to do? They tend to win magnificently means that the Achaeans are being portrayed as far superior to the Trojans, at least in terms of battle skill, which is the most important skill at this moment, seeing as they are both in battle. Now, we recall the whole point of attacking Aeneas as Diomedes was to lure an Aphrodite in so that we could somehow harm her, so we could send her back to Olympus so she can stop helping the Trojans. Because as long as she is saving major Trojans from dying, that's like fighting an enemy that continually respawns itself or rejuvenates itself. You injure it, it heals itself. When does the battle end? Never. Right. 
But the whole point of a battle or a war is to what it eventually? To win it. And for you to win it, it must what? End. That's right. And so Aphrodite approaches. In fact, you see a beautiful picture here of lots of people dead, which is sad, but also Diomedes attacking Aphrodite. And these little baby things around her, these are, those are Aeroi. They're arrows. Those are pictures of what will later be called Cupid, and what will later in the Christian tradition be called Cherubim. And yes, those little baby angels you see in cathedrals are directly co-opted by the usually Catholic artists from the Greco-Roman mythology. And, well, you know, a lot of that happens. In any case, we'll talk a lot about that next year in the Inferno when we see Dante being a part of the Christianization of the Greco-Pagan world. In any case, Aphrodite approaches. While she approaches, Stenelis is being a good lieutenant. He leads away those mighty fine horses of Aeneas. He has not forgotten his role in this particular scenario. And so, as Aphrodite comes down, she thinks that she is what to all the mortals? Because that is what she always is. Yes? Invisible. And so she comes down thinking it will be all hunky-dory. There will be no problem for her to pick up her son Aeneas and to whisk him away just as she had once done with Paris. However, she did not account for the fact that Athena would have given Diomedes the ability to see the gods, which she did. And so now Diomedes sees this sitting duck, this Aphrodite, who kept the war from ending and stabs her in her hand. Just a little wound in the hand. Just a little prick. But it's enough for Aphrodite to go, ah, gasp in pain, and to drop her son. Literally drops him. She's a goddess. He's going to die with his gangly leg that doesn't work anymore. Lucky, however, for her and for him, the strongest of the Trojan gods abandons the Trojan wall for a moment to grab Aeneas. And in fact, Diomedes tries to attack him, but Apollo is at another class from Aphrodite and Ares. Aphrodite and Ares can be injured by mortals. Apollo, you cannot even touch. In fact, we will see multiple times uh, in Achaean attempt to attack Apollo. We'll see Pen, we'll see Patroclus, who is the number two to Achilles attempt it. He will fail entirely. We'll see also um, uh, Paris try it. And actually in a work that's called Post-Homerica, we see Achilles try it too, and even he fails. Nobody's anywhere close to as strong as Apollo, except for Athena. And of course, Zeus is the most powerful of all the gods. Apollo and Athena are the number two and the number three. Athena's number two, Apollo's number three, by the way, at least according to Carl Carini. That said, when Apollo wants to save a mortal, that mortal gets saved whether you can see him or not. Um, and the reason why it is Apollo that saves him is that Apollo, as you know, is the god of many things. One of the things he's the god of is the opposite of causing plague. What is the art by which you might heal plague or any disease? We call it the what art, yes? Medicine, the medical art. He is the god of medicine. And so, in fact, um, it is the case that the god Asclepius, who was supposedly the father, it was either of Hippocrates or Galen, who were the first doctors. Uh, Apollo is the father of the god Asclepius, who is the later god of medicine, who is the father of the first doctors. And in fact, doctors even today, and I know this because my fiancé is one, take the Hippocratic Oath based on Hippocrates, what he said. And what they say is, do no harm. And they agree to heal all people, just as I agree to teach all people, which is why I record these lectures and give them to you all forever. 
In any case, something to note. Ekor is the name of the, God of the blood of the gods. The gods are not made out of flesh and bone. They don't eat food. They drink nectar. They eat ambrosia, whatever that stuff is. Sort of like uh, if you ever read the Old Testament, manna, something that falls from the heavens. I can give you an allegorical interpretation of that, but not right now, maybe next year. In any case, what falls from her is ekor. It's called ekor. You will definitely be tested on that. Know that it's not blood. If I say, what substance falls from Aphrodite and you see blood, that's a trick. The answer is ekor. In any case, Apollo swoops in. He, in his aspect called paeon, he has multiple names, uh, will then heal uh, Aeneas. And it'll actually be a really weird moment for people because they're going to see Aeneas sitting around with his old gangly leg and think he's like pretty much done and dead. And then all of a sudden, like a page or two later, he's going to be right back in the fight. And people are going to be like, what happened there? Yeah, something weird. Uh, Apollo happens there. In any case, Aphrodite then takes a chariot back up to Mount Olympus and starts whining to her mother. Her mother's name is Dione. And so something you know about Aphrodite is she is the daughter of Zeus and also not the daughter of Hera. She is herself, as a cheating goddess, a product of infidelity or cheating, uh, just as many of the gods are. Apollo and Artemis, Father Zeus, Mother Leto. Uh, the only gods, uh, Hermes, Zeus is his father, Maya is his mother. Dionysus, Zeus is his father, Simile is his mother. The only two gods that we know of right now uh, that have Zeus and Hera as parents are Ares, sort of a disappointment to Zeus. He actually calls him the most hateful of all the gods to him. And um, at least in this case, potentially Hephaestus. Though traditionally in mythology, Hephaestus is born uh, parthenogenically. That means with, without, without a man by Hera. Supposedly she has him herself in response to Zeus having Athena born out from his head which is a weird story, but I can explain what that means soon enough. Hmm. In any case, let's keep moving. Ares then gives strength to the Trojans, and we know how our battle plan is going to change as we move forward now. Now that we have gotten rid of Aphrodite and we know that we cannot attack Apollo, there is one Trojan god left to get off the field, the one that just gave strength to the Trojans. Who are we going to have to target next as Diomedes? Yes? Ares himself. But we need to wait for Athena to tell us, because she said, just go after Aphrodite. Do not try and engage with any of the other mortal gods. So Diomedes is going to take a break. During that break, we are going to meet Sarpedon, and we are going to see him fight against one of the sons of Heracles. One of the Heracleids. And his name is Tleth Polymos, and we will do that tomorrow.